Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence. Hey, we are privileged to welcome Irina Buzu, who's joining us from Moldova, where she is an advisor on AI to the Deputy Prime Minister of Moldova. She's also had extensive roles working on digital policy with the European AI Alliance and the Council of Europe in Strasbourg. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience, particularly in algorithmic decision-making, ethics, and public policy. And it's a forefront of understanding how AI technologies shape and are shaped by government actions that are going to change our digital policies. So welcome to the show, Irina. I'm just really excited to talk to you today. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. This is super exciting for me to be here and to be able to, to speak and to share with the, your audience uh, a bit of my experience. So this is our farthest distance. I am in Chevy Chase, Maryland. You are in Moldova. So this is the farthest we've talked across. This is what AI is all about, right? Bringing the world together. So I've talked a lot about regulation on the show, and certainly we can talk about that some more, but you've done a lot of work on just how algorithmic data-driven decision-making is going to affect public policy. So talk a little bit about your, your views on how you see AI impacting government policy. I feel that like in the early days of AI, there was a lot of skepticism about AI and its potential application in government. Many people feared that AI would lead to job loss and discrimination, a loss of human control over decision making. But however, in recent years, I feel that there has been a growing recognition for the potential of AI and its benefits. Governments around the world are increasingly investing in AI research and development. I'm thinking that one of the most significant shifts from government's view and sort of utilize AIs, the move from using it for back office uh, tasks to using it more for frontline decision making. So, for example, AI is now being used to help social workers make better decisions about child welfare cases, or AI is used to help rural boards assess the risk of recidivism, or AI can be used by police officers. And this is very important to me that governments are becoming more aware of the ethical and legal considerations surrounding AI. And it's used. Uh, there are concerns about bias, discrimination, transparency. And there is also a growing consensus that AI systems need to be designed, deployed, and used in a responsible and ethical manner. So I feel that overall, AI is a powerful tool and it has the potential to transform the way governments operate and deliver services to citizens. But it is of paramount importance that the use of AI, its development and deployment and AI throughout its entire life cycle is designed and deployed considering all the ethical principles that are put forward at an international level. And by taking into account the ethics and the legal considerations, governments I feel they can harness power of AI to improve the lives of the citizens. So you kind of mentioned the early, what was called AI, I guess you mentioned back office automation. So that's robotic process automation, UI path, things like that, right? So it seems to me that that's where governments have spent, I mean, outside of maybe some military or intelligence applications, that's where the bulk of government AI efforts have been to date. 
that was the beginning of the AI being embedded in government utilization. However, today we see government using AI to, for example, gather and analyze data to better understand the needs of the citizens and the effectiveness of government policies and programs. Why not? Also, AI is used to develop predictive models, for example, to identify potential problems and opportunities. It can be used to automate uh, routine tasks, therefore freeing up government employees to focus on more complex work. It can also be used to uh, deliver personalized services to meet the individual needs of citizens. There's a wide array of opportunities for AI to be used by governments today. So if we dove in, particularly you mentioned, say, like social worker or working with a, like child welfare services or something like that, how do you really see AI making an impact there? Yeah, so for example, if you have a lot of open data that AI algorithms can be trained on for government purposes, it can be used to lead to the government decision-making. So in, in the sense of welfare projects, usually or beforehand, you would have all the social workers having to complete all these questionnaires about their beneficiaries. They would have to go into different regions or different uh, sectors of a city to monitor the uh, well-being of their beneficiaries. Today, if you have government open data, you can do this at the step of a finger, really, or the push of a button on your computer. And you have this predictive policy making that would just put forward on your computer which of your beneficiaries uh, are in more need of a specific governmental policy or work more attention is to be addressed for a specific type of beneficiaries or so on and so forth. And although this is really good and nice, again, with all the data, there come a lot of risks associated with that, specifically bias and discrimination, because we all know that AI systems can perpetuate and exacerbate existing biases in society. And it's very important to be able to ensure that those systems are fair and unbiased. And this also links to the issues of privacy, how can I, AI systems can collect and use a bunch of personal data. And it is very important to protect the privacy of citizens and to use their data responsibly, specifically when I think about marginalized groups and vulnerable people. Although we also want to make sure that we're able to use the data, right? Because it's always this tension between, I talk often about health data regulations in the United States, which have created an atmosphere of fear and uncertainty amongst technology companies to use that data. So it seems that, yes, we need to respect privacy, but it's absolutely critical that we allow AI to have access to this data to overcome bias, to help disadvantaged communities when, when you set up. I completely agree with that. And I feel that when it comes to particularly mitigating the biases in AI systems that link to, to data, a dual approach needs to be taken here to effectively mitigate the biases. When, when I say the dual approach, I mean you have to have technical strategies linked to policy measures. So, for example, when I say technical strategies, I say I talk about diversity of training data. We need to ensure that those systems are trained on diverse data sets that represent the full spectrum of the population to minimize those biases. And also we need to think about how to implement bias detection algorithms that would help identify and correct biases in those models that before deployment. And of utmost importance, we need to always have the humans in the loop. We cannot avoid incorporating human oversight into AI-driven decision-making processes. We expect them to provide a final check on potential biases and to ensure the fairness of the, uh, the outcome that the algorithm gives you. And again, we need to consider the explainability of the entire process. So we need to have those systems that can explain their decision-making processes. Otherwise, we cannot expect citizens to 
have enough both understanding, but also to, to feel secure that a decision process that was algorithmically generated is very nuts with regards to their life and well-being. I would assume that part of the appeal with AI or the benefit of it was we can do a lot of this stuff in real time, right? So we can get immediate feedback from data and make adjustments. So say we're running a child welfare program and we're getting real-time data, that's really going to challenge the structure of the administrative system, right? Do you able to adjust on the fly? And I, I see significant barriers to allowing the bureaucracy to be flexible enough to actually respond to data in real time. Have you seen any, anybody talking about that yet? This is an ongoing debate because on the one hand, you have AI that helps debureaucratizing a lot of processes. But then you have this entirely bureaucratic process of developing policy framework for the use of AI. Always go on the same loop of trying to debureaucratize a bureaucratic process that is bureaucratic enough to not help the bureaucratization. Maybe this is an opportunity to have an AI that is going to deliver a policy document that is going to be beneficial for all. Because I, I've seen this discussion online lately when it comes to AI regulation. On the one hand, you have those advocating for government regulation, then you have the techies who advocate for self-regulation, and then you have this entire new wave of visionaries who say, well, let's let AI regulate itself. Well, you think about, say, like, a, I don't know, like a website like Amazon.com, right? They can use AI to adjust their page in microseconds beyond anything with no human pushing any button, right? And then I'll completely optimize for the shopper experience or you know, something like that. And it's just hard to imagine government allowing AI to make these kind of micro adjustments without some, I mean, here, like if you want to ask people questions, you got to go through like a three to six month process where your questions are reviewed by the White House, Office of Management Budget. How are we going to do this in this world where we're, you know, in one area of your life, you're seeing a page updated in microseconds and in another area, it's three to six months. That just doesn't seem like it's going to compute. Well, of course, I think it kind of goes back to the issue of control because governments and authorities, of course, they love to have control over the entire process, whatever the process is that it has to do with government affairs. And then you have, in the case of AI, would have to delegate part of that authority and part of that autonomy to a system that is completely artificial, that you cannot completely entirely explain. And then for people who are used to, to having a control over the entire loop of the process, it's, I, I believe it's very hard to just kind of take their hands off the reins for a second and to delegate even the tiniest tasks to, to something that is automated. Because at the end of the day, it also comes back to the responsibility and the liability for failure. And then if you have a person in the loop, then sure, you can point to someone specific and say, like, you're at fault, like, you will pay the consequences. But when you have an artificial system, what do you do? Do you, like, decommission the system? Do you destroy it? Like, how does that balance the impact that the failure has had on, for example, a person versus the punishment that a system, that an artificial system takes on? Wow. So you really don't want to be the human in the loop because you're the one that gets blamed, right? So if everyone's going to be like, I'm not the human in the loop. This strikes me as like a fundamental issue for using AI in public policy. I was talking yesterday with somebody who was kind of talking about how humans, like our wetware, were very tribal and local and 
technology is global and doesn't have those kind of things built into it unless we build them in. So this seems like another place where government is just fundamentally set up in a way that at least at scale, something like AI is going to be very difficult for them to adjust to. I think when it comes to embedding AI in government processes and government affairs, really need to showcase a good practice or maybe like even a small one where you have an algorithm that takes on part of the responsibility of the task of a government employee and that delivers them properly, lead by example and to convince top management in the government that it, it can actually be useful. I was reading online that, for example, in Korea, there is a corporation that has an AI as a board member for, for the corporation. Sure, it doesn't have any necessary rights within the corporation, any voting rights, but it looks more like a PR stunt. But it's interesting to kind of look into that in the future to see how maybe we can balance responsibility with artificial systems that way. It's an interesting idea. You know, there's Jeff Bezos. Sorry, I'm on the Amazon kick today, I guess. But he would always have an empty chair at the board table saying that represented the customer. And now you could actually have like an artificial avatar, right? But it's like, I'm the customer and here's how I react. That's kind of a cool idea, like having avatars representing different kinds of stakeholders. In some ways, you could have like, a policy debate between these avatars and kind of figure out the parameters of the policy. It's also interesting that we don't have just AI as decision makers there. Like you have a lot of people and some artificial actors, and then the collective responsibility is still collective. So you still have the humans in the loop. So it's interesting to see how that also balances out the, the risks of having someone artificially deciding uh, on various policies and whatever happens. The other thing I see as an issue with that, with the government side is like, what if AI tells us something that we don't like? So what if it tells us like the way to solve child welfare is to like do something that we don't want to do, right? And what if it's right? I think it's probably going to be an input to obviously the policy process, but I think we're still, <laughs> we're still going to be subject to all these sort of human biases and feelings that don't necessarily aren't optimal decisions. I think the first test that we're doing on that is using GPT and other generative AI nowadays. We have all of this text input that we get from generative AI, but then still it's up to you to decide whether you want to use the text or not. I'm a strong believer that the, the final decision has to stand with humans, but the process of deciding can be enhanced by AI agents. Like AI can tell me that I need to eat less to lose weight, but I'm still not going to do that, right? So I guess that's true about a lot of things. We've had this problem before, right? So talk to me a little bit about, you know, we talked a little bit about bias and how are governments looking at this? Like, is it about getting additional data sets? Is it about building in specific rules? How do you see people approaching this issue of bias? It's a complex question. It's a question really when you think about mitigating bias. We've talked a bit about the technical strategies, but it also has to involve the policy measures. And here's where the government comes in play. And so I feel that governments need to develop very clear ethical guidelines and principles for AI development and deployment and use. And those principles need to emphasize fairness, non-discrimination, accountability, as we said before. Also, we need to, as governments, we need to implement very transparent procurement processes for AI systems. And that would mean that they would require, for example, vendors to demonstrate fairness and bias mitigation measures. Also, it's important to establish 
say, some sort of independent auditing and evaluation mechanisms that would regularly assess AI systems for bias and ensure compliance with ethical guidelines and considerations. We also need to ensure that there is public engagement and feedback. And here's where awareness campaigns come very handy, because we need to engage the public uh, and the stakeholders to gather feedback on AI systems to identify, for example, potential biases. Why not? Because at the end of the day, the public being the developer, but also the end user, of any AI-related products, we need to have people educated and literate enough for them to be able to understand what those risks and what the biases are and how to mitigate those as well. And uh, at the end of the day, it all comes back to continuous monitoring and improvements because with ongoing monitoring and uh, improvement processes that would continuously evaluate AI systems for bias, we wouldn't be able really to implement any corrective measures as needed. So yeah, I guess... In this whole ecosystem, you need to have those regulatory bodies as much as we don't like them. We need to have data governance frameworks. We need regular impact assessments. We need public reporting and accountability. And we need continuous training and education that would provide all the the necessary information to the large public, again, and educate them with all the potential risks, and but also benefits of AI. Yeah, I mean, the bias issue, I think, is going to move right into the culture wars of the United States issue. So I think that we already fight over biology and different kinds of, you know, is this real? Is this inherent? Is this So in some ways, the bias debate is going to come down to, no, I think that's bias because I don't believe that. And someone else says, well, that's factual. And it seems to me that eh, there's no way for AI to escape being a political football in that, like it's basically happening. Hopefully in Moldova, it's not as big a deal as it is here, but I think it's inevitable. That'll play out in the public sector. In Moldova, you know, we don't have a mature enough AI ecosystem. So to see how AI can uh, replicate biases, uh, it's a bit premature, I feel. But we do have a lot of other biases, societal biases and political biases and economic biases and welfare biases, whatever you want here. And a lot of education because... With AI, the same as with digitalization, digital transformation. Sometimes you don't need to digital transform a single process if the solution for an issue can be made in an analogous environment. Because not everything, because otherwise, the problem in an analog that is not resolved in an analogous manner, and you just transfer it to the digital realm, is going to perpetuate the same problem, but digitally. So maybe if we think about biases, it's not that an AI is at fault for perpetuating a societal bias, but maybe we have to think about how do you solve this issue in a non-online environment and how can you build policies for people to feel safe, for people to feel secure, for them not to feel discriminated, for the state to create a, an ecosystem for the people to live in fairness. <laughs> That's very utopian. I think I subscribe to one man's bias is another woman's truth, right? So these are just political battles that I think will have to be fought. I don't see how we can avoid them, but turning a little bit back to the government's ability to practically use AI, one thing I've kind of started thinking about is we've talked a lot about the need for humans in the loop, the difficulty of bureaucracies adapting and the need to monitor bias. Like I see government continuing to be difficult to using the technologies in the most quick and comprehensive way. So I think there's a real chance that the private sector moves so far in front of the public sector that they can almost overwhelm the public sector. 
So you could see something like you have this crazy, powerful AI that can develop a million cures for diseases in like two weeks, or it can generate permit applications for drilling oil wells, like one every three seconds, right? And so that then the government apparatus kind of gets overwhelmed because it can't use the exact same technology back because it has to have a human in the loop, it has to have this bias, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I could see this tension happening where the private sector push of, hey, we want to do all this stuff, we want to use AI, and the public sector just can't adapt to it. I don't know if you thought at all about, is government just going to be forced to do a lot of these things because the pressure will be so high from outside? I think there is always going to be this, not necessarily open, but a confrontation between the public sector and the private sector in this sense, because as you've said, technology evolves incredibly at a rapid pace that the government just cannot keep up sometimes because of that bureaucracy that I've spoken about. But what can actually help, I feel, is to have this multi-stakeholder dialogue platforms, for example, what the Europeans are trying to do at this point. So whenever we have something that is related to technology or is specifically emerging technologies and um, having a very, uh, not even that far into the future, but quite recent future impacts on humanity or human rights or like human welfare. You have all these people gathered at the same table. You have them talking to each other because otherwise you unavoidably you will lose the input from either one side or the other because people don't have a proper dialogue when they don't talk to each other, when they are afraid to sometimes voice certain opinions. You cannot have a clear enough and, and a comprehensive picture of what is actually happening and you cannot harness all the benefits of this dialogue per, per se. So I think that for the current state of affairs and for the near future, multi-stakeholder dialogue platforms will be super helpful when it comes to anything to do with tech regulation. Because on the one hand, sure, we can say that the companies, they want to self-regulate, they are more interested in doing maybe something more shady than the government would do. But again, this is just speculation most of the time. Because unless you have those people at the same table being honest with each other and not being afraid to say whatever they want to say, even if it might hurt somebody's feelings or it might not be politically correct, you will not be able to assess the state of affairs as it actually is and to build proper policy making that would benefit parties involved. You would inadvertently build a policy that is going to be beneficial for just one party against the other. I don't know if you've done anything, you know, this is sort of speculative, so sorry if I'm springing it on you, but... How would you see the role of a policymaker, bureaucrat in an agency changing based on AI from today where they might go through a series of bureaucratic processes to maybe 10, 15 years in the future? Any kind of vision of like what their day-to-day would be like? How would AI transform that? I'm looking at government officials now, for example, like sure, we have them the utmost bureaucrats, but then they use AI on the daily basis. Everybody, I feel, uses chat GPT and whatever they have to summarize a big policy document or policy proposal or to draft a speech or something like that. Then you have intelligent assistants that work for a calendar or like something like, like the small, the small routine tasks for the day-to-day lives. And then I feel that if we develop literacy programs that will be comprehensive enough today to actually showcase the benefits of artificial intelligence and other emerging tech for government officials or for other strata of the society, depending on 
individual needs, of course. It will create a platform for the near future where people will work in a symbiosis with technology without being afraid that there is going to come a robot or an AI that is going to steal my job and I will become homeless and whatever, all the other very dystopian scenarios that are trying to be marketed today. It's not that scary. Like We already have a smartphone in our pockets that is embedded with AI from 1 to 10. And most people don't even realize it. But if we realize the entire potential of this, we wouldn't be afraid of it. And then maybe we can actually harness the benefits of technology more than just trying to deny whatever uh, opportunities it offers. You got me thinking about this sort of avatar thing too. So if you have a policymaker, I wonder if they will have these representative avatars of all the different stakeholders that might debate the policy and then, you know, instantly at scale. So you could get a report, the human in the loop has like, here's where all the problems are. And you could almost, I'm sure communities are not going to want to be completely represented by an avatar, but you could do 99% of everything automatically almost. Sure. Again, like technologies, they, among other benefits, they help with inclusion. They help with access for those people who cannot travel. You can just connect online or you can like use a VR had said, be someplace else, or maybe, I don't know, in some point in the future, I would have holograms and we can just sort of like time travel, be in this several places at one or like have an avatar for yourself, being in one meeting while you're in the other meeting or stuff like that. Wow. So, Rene, you could go to like multiple meetings at once. You would love that. Huh? Awesome. <laughs> so, if you could time travel somewhere, where would you time travel to? If I could time travel, probably... I would go back to England in the 1940s to meet Alan Turing. Really? Interesting. Interesting. That would be cool. Well, thanks for coming on today and sharing your thoughts on AI and policy. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alan. It was very fun for me to, to explore the topic from a completely different perspective uh, from what I'm actually used to. So it was super fun. And thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks. AI, Government and the Future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com and then make sure to search for AI, Government, Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, Thanks for listening.